Hi, this is The Gathering Church in Windsor, Ontario, and I'm Pastor Garth Lino. Welcome to our podcast. Well, growing up, Wayne Gretzky had one dream, to be a professional baseball player. Yeah, that's right, baseball. He said, my favorite sport as a kid was baseball. I so desperately wanted to play shortstop for the Detroit Tigers. I was a huge Tigers fan, and I loved baseball. So how come we never heard of Wayne Gretzky, the ball player? Well, at the age of 14, he started to think that maybe he wasn't good enough to make the major leagues, and so he thought to consider some of his other options, one of which was hockey. And, of course, he received some direction from a certain family member. Wayne Gretzky said, My dad kept on clipping me over the head, repeatedly saying, Boy, you're a hockey player, don't you know? Well, in hindsight, it appears as though Wayne Gretzky made the right decision by following his father's direction. And isn't it interesting how how fathers can have that impact and can direct the lives of their children? And this morning, we're going to look at a passage and discover how our Heavenly Father directed the Apostle Paul in ways that he directs all of his children to take the gospel to new places. So please, if you've got your Bibles, I invite you to turn to Acts chapter 15, We're going to start at verse 36, and we're going to head all the way to chapter 16, verse 10. The passage that we're looking at this morning depicts the launching of Paul's second missionary journey. And it introduces us to new team members. There's new faces we're going to meet this morning. And we're going to see Paul was both, he was very flexible, and he was obedient to the direction that he received from the Lord along the way. And, and what we're going to find out this morning is that God directs his people in a variety of ways in order to accomplish his perfect plans. To accomplish his perfect plans, not ours. So our text actually begins by highlighting a disagreement that happens between the Apostle Paul and Barnabas. And we can see that God can provide direction even in conflict. So let's look at verse 36. To 41. And after some days, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us return and visit the brothers in every city where we proclaim the word of the Lord and see how they are. Now, Barnabas wanted to take with them John called Mark, but Paul thought best not to take uh, with them one who had withdrawn from them in Pamphylia and had not gone with them to the work. And here it comes. And there arose a sharp disagreement so that they separated from each other. Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed away to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas and departed, having been commended by the brothers by the grace of the Lord. And he went through Syria and Sicilia, strengthening the churches. So Paul's got a strategy. He wants to check in all the churches that they had planted on that first journey. He wants to see how they're doing. Barnabas is cool with this, but he wants to bring John Mark with him. Paul doesn't like the idea. Why? John Mark bailed on the first journey. So in Acts 13, 13, there was a point where John Mark went home. He went back to Jerusalem. And Paul likely doesn't think that he's a reliable worker. Paul wants people who are trustworthy, given to the work, let's go. And it says there's a sharp disagreement. It doesn't say disagreement, sharp disagreement. So this is likely some kind of heated discussion, whatever happened here. We're not told 
what was said. We're not told who was right, who was wrong, or how all the details work, and so it would probably be wrong for us to try to jump in and to assume and try to decipher all these things that we're not given to. But it's, I like this story, not because there's disagreement, but I like it because it humanizes Paul and Barnabas a little bit. Sometimes you read and you're like, wow, these people, they're just always serving the Lord. There's never any issues. But right here, it humanizes them for us, and we can see that even really godly people get into disagreements. Even really godly people don't agree about everything all the time. And that's okay. And that's okay. See, what's happening here, Barnabas is displaying his known character. He's called the son of encouragement. And if you remember way back when, Barnabas was the one who was willing to take a chance on Paul. He was the first one willing to extend his hand of fellowship to Paul in Acts chapter 9, 27. So Barnabas is kind of this guy who's willing to take people under his own wing. And he probably thought, hey, John Mark just needs some coaching. He just needs somebody to provide on-the-job training. And so if he comes with me, then hopefully he'll become somebody that's a trustworthy, reliable, dependent dependable co-worker for the gospel. That's probably his approach here. Paul, on the other hand, wanted proven and trustworthy workers. He didn't want to take the chance on people that might be ready, that might not be ready. Paul's that kind of guy, when you see job postings, it's like minimum five years experience required. And Barnabas is like, well, how's anyone supposed to get experience unless they get experience? So I think it's just different styles here. And uh, they have this disagreement, but Paul ends up choosing Silas, who had some experience and ended up being a great partner for him. The main thing in this little uh, situation here is that God worked providentially, even in disagreement, to multiply the workers. Two missionary teams end up being sent up as a result of this, to go into two different directions. So isn't it funny how God directs things? It seems like a disagreement. Well, I, no, I, no, no, well, I'm going to do this. It's like, okay, well, you go here and I'll go here. Okay, and God blesses both of them. I think that's pretty cool. Disagreement doesn't necessarily have to mean uh, division and disaster. God can work in the difficult times that we have and the disagreements that we have, and he offers, often uses them to bring fresh purpose and new ministry opportunities and further direction in our lives. So Barnabas... And John Mark, they head to Cyprus. Paul and Silas, they go to check out the churches in Syria. And as they go to strengthen the churches, God continues to direct Paul, and he directs them to a promising young man named Timothy. Timothy is the guy who would become Paul's apprentice in the work for the gospel. And so we see that they were directed right to an apprentice. Chapter 16, verse 1 to 5. Paul came also to Derbe and to Lystra. A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, whose father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew his father was a Greek. And as they went on their way through the cities, they delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So here we meet Timothy. He's from Lystra. If you remember a few weeks ago, this was the place that Paul went to on his first journey, and it didn't go well for him. That's where he got stoned almost to death. But it's likely that Timothy and his family were converted during that first journey. And so here he comes, and he meets Timothy again, or maybe for the first time. Maybe he didn't have direct contact with Timothy. But it says Timothy had a Greek dad. 
most scholars believe that his dad had actually passed away. And, and uh, Paul took it upon himself to be kind of like a spiritual father to young Timothy. But it says his mom was Jewish. And we're going to talk about why that's significant in a second. But verse 2 says he was well spoken of by the brothers in Lystra and Iconium. Iconium was 18 miles away from Lystra. So here's a young man who has a good reputation that is spreading to another city. So you ask yourself, okay, when you think about our reputation, you think about my character, you think about what I'm known for, what actually am I known for, and how well am I known for it? Timothy was well spoken of by the brothers. So kids, teens, young adults, I mean, however old you are, but especially everybody who's younger here this morning, don't wait to grow up and mature to start building and cultivating your character and working on your reputation. How, how well are you known, and what are you known for? Timothy, well spoken of by the brothers. Paul is impressed with Timothy, saw something in him, and ends up taking him under his wing. So now Barnabas took John Mark under his wing. Timothy takes, or Paul takes Timothy under his wing. And for the next number of years, Paul invests heavily in Timothy, Paul was focused on the kingdom and about transferring what he knew to the next generation. Timothy would eventually become Paul's number one guy and would actually take over leadership in the Ephesian church way down the road after Paul had planted that church, which we'll get to in a number of chapters. But an interesting thing, like Paul loved Timothy. Timothy never let him down. Listen to how he describes Timothy in Philippians 2, verse 19 and 20. Paul says, I hope... In the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. He loved Timothy. Maybe he was the son that Paul never had. He kind of viewed him that way. We're not quite sure. But again, interesting how God works. Remember, Timothy's from Lystra. Paul nearly died there. The city where Paul nearly died for preaching the gospel is the city that ends up having this apprentice that ends up being uh, Paul's number one guy that he loves so much. It's just interesting how God directs this. You wouldn't think of ever even going back there, but he goes back there and he finds Timothy. Just a little note on all the men that we've been introduced to in this passage, all of them had successful lives for the gospel. Even John Mark got back on track. If you uh, listen to 2 Timothy 4.11, Paul's talking about John Mark. And he says, Luke alone is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is very useful to me for ministry. So evidently spending time with Barnabas was great for John Mark. Paul ends up like, yes, bring John Mark. I love him too. He's great. So something happened there, and he did kind of get on the job training. Most scholars actually think that this John Mark is the guy who wrote the Gospel of Mark. So talk about having a successful ministry. Now, I just want to ask, as we think about Paul and Timothy, who in your life could be a Timothy for you? Who is there that God has directed into your atmosphere, into your life, that you could pour into Maybe we're not even ever asking ourselves those questions. Is there somebody that's, yeah, maybe younger in age, but maybe younger in the faith that you can pour into? Somebody that you can take under your wing, that you can mentor, mentor, you can teach, you can disciple along. Let's be asking God to give us eyes, say, hey, 
I may not know everything, but I know some things. God, how do you want me to interact with these people you've brought in to my life? There's somebody maybe here in the kids gathering right now or somebody who's sitting right beside you today that maybe you've never met or maybe you've known for your whole life that could be uh, a pastor one day, could be the next missionary, could be a church planner. I mean, we, we have no idea. Who could be your Timothy? God specifically has put people into your life. It's never random with God. Okay? It's never a coincidence with God. We like to tell our, our, our kids, Brandon and I kind of joke, that it's not coincidence, it's providence. It's always God's hand directing and working, maybe behind the scenes. So moving on, it says in verse 3 that Timothy got circumcised. And you might say, what is going on? I thought a big part of Acts chapter 15 was that circumcision wasn't required to become a believer anymore. So now why is Paul circumcising Timothy? Is he going, contradicting himself? What's happening here? Well, Timothy's circumcision wasn't about him becoming a Christian. Okay? It wasn't about adding to the gospel by grace alone, faith alone, in Christ alone. But this is about seeking to become an effective witness to the Jews. Timothy was Jewish on his mother's side, so Jews would say they would consider him Jewish. And an uncircumcised Jew would never be accepted by other Jews. That's just how it was. So, again, Paul always tried to reach the Jews first. He always went to the synagogue where there was one to try to talk to his people. In order to bring Timothy with him, it's not going to work unless Timothy was circumcised. So, trying to remove any potential barriers, anything that could stop the advancement of the gospel. He said, hey, Timothy, let's circumcise you for the sake of the kingdom of God. This is an example, practical outworking of 1 Corinthians chapter 9, uh, verse 20, uh, 22 and 23. Verse 20 says, to the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. Verse 22, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people. Why? That by all means I might save some. Why does he do this? I do it all for the sake of the gospel that I may share with them in its blessings. It's just an example of making personal sacrifices for Jesus. And we look at our own lives and say, what kind of sacrifices might Jesus ask us to make? And we say, are we willing to make those sacrifices? Yeah, I'll go there, I'll do that, or I'll stop that, or I'll start that, so that more people may hear and believe. Not so I look good, or so I get a, a, that raise, or so that more people will hear and believe. That was Paul's motivation. And, and for us, we think, as we sung this morning, like Jesus has done so much for us. He set us free. He's forgiven us. He loves us. He's welcomed us into his family. So we say, okay, I offer everything back to you for your plans, your will, whatever you want me to do. In verse 5, it says that they went and they strengthened the churches and the, the number of disciples increased daily. And then they decided to continue on. It's widely believed that Paul wanted to head into Asia. He really wanted to head to Ephesus. Ephesus was a large city, prominent city at this time. He does end up getting to Ephesus later, but he doesn't get to Ephesus right now. God had other plans for him at this point. And so we can see that he's actually going to direct the Apostle Paul by restraining him from going to certain places. And it's this way that they're directed through restraint. As we look now at verse 6 and 7. It says, as they went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. 
And when they came to, to Mysia, they attempted to go into Bithynia. Lots of cool places. But the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them. The Holy Spirit forget, forbids them from going one way, okay? And then Jesus forbids them from going to another place. We're not exactly sure how that restraint happened, how he knew he was forbidden to go a certain way, how he got that clear direction, don't go here, go here instead. But the important thing is, it did happen, and we're not given the why. And Paul doesn't say that he's given the why in the moment either. And this is where we get frustrated, because I'm a why guy. I like to know why. Why is this happening? Why can't I do this? Why can't I go to Asia? Why can't I go to Bithynia? Why didn't I get this? What's going on? Why don't I have an answer yet, God? I'm the why guy. It's difficult. And sometimes in our answers, in our direction, we don't get the answers that we're looking for, but sometimes the answer we get is no. And then that gets us upset. We pray for something, we ask for something, but the answer, the direction we get is no, it's restraint. No, not this, not now, maybe not ever. And we get frustrated, but we've got to remember, getting an answer no is clear direction from God. We may not like the no, but it's clear direction. God, why don't you speak to me? Why don't you? I just said no. That's an answer. I'm directing you here. And again, we like to ask, why are you doing this? Why didn't I get that promotion? Why didn't I make that sports team? Why didn't we get that house? I put the offer in. What's going on here? But our job as followers of Jesus is not to know all the why. As frustrating as it is, our job as followers of Jesus is to trust and obey. To say, okay, Lord, you know what? You said no. I don't know why you said no. But you know everything. So I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust your ways. And I'm going to go wherever you send me to go. And I think it's pretty safe to assume that Paul, Silas, and Timothy probably got a little bit discouraged from the no. um, Because it meant a lot more walking for them to go different places. Like they couldn't just call an Uber and go to the next place. This is walking. And so they keep going to these places. No, no. It's like seriously, you know. Those Nikes were worn out. So it's a little bit different. Regardless of that discouragement, they weren't defeated. They weren't defeated because they trusted the Holy Spirit would lead them to the right place at the right time. Like I said earlier, Paul was very strategic, but he was also sensitive. He was strategic. He got this plan that we're going to go here, we're going to go here, we're going to check in all these places, and then I want to go here, 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 and get to Ephesus. That's the plan. He's also sensitive and flexible to the Holy Spirit's leading and modifying of that plan. I wanted to go here, but God says no, so now we're changing it up. What about us? How flexible are we in adapting our plans when God does say no, or when God restrains, or not yet, or wait? Do we stubbornly try to just keep pushing that door, even though it's very clearly shut? Because I just want to, I just want to, I just want to. Or we take the time and step back and say, hey, wait, what door maybe has God opened up? Maybe I can walk through that way. My plan as, as a kid was to be a professional hockey player. Didn't work. Very, very early on, I knew that wasn't going to happen. So then I diverted my interest and I said, okay, well, I'll just be a hockey coach then. That can't be too hard. They just stand behind the bench and wear a suit. Um, didn't work out. The answer was No. My plan then was, okay, well, I'm going to go to Bible college for just a year and learn a little bit more about God, and that'll, that's my plan. But God said, nope, that's not the plan. I ended up staying there for four years, and I met a really good friend there. Not only did I meet my wife, who's awesome, 
But I also met a really good friend there whose dad was a senior pastor of church who gave me my first pastoral position. And it's like, oh, I never thought I was going to do there. I never thought I was going to live in BC. And this is all God directing plans. And then once we were there, I figured, well, we're probably just going to live out west forever. That's what's going to happen. And God's like, no, you're going to come to Windsor. And you're like, okay. So he directed us through a lot of no's and no, not, 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 not to some, and some yeses and say, and now here we are in Windsor. And that's great. But it's interesting how we could probably spend the whole day, if we just made a big circle of all our chairs, and we just asked everybody, tell us ways that God has directed you in a, in a negative way by the answer, no. We could all tell stories. I thought it was going to be like this, but the, nope, that wasn't that. It ends up being this. And we look back. In the moment, we don't understand. In the moment, we don't see. And in the moment, we complain. But sometimes we look back, and maybe it's years later, we can say, oh, I get why he did that. In the moment, I was like, whoa, what am I doing all the way in Saskatchewan? I don't know. But I look back and I go, oh, that's why he's doing that. And I don't have all the answers as to why, but I have some. And in his grace, he reveals some bits of information. We step back, we look back and say, okay. So yeah, he directs us with restraint and we can over time see those answers. But it's not the only way that God directs us. And it's not the only way he directed these missionaries. He also directed them through direct revelation. As we look at verse 8 to 10 of chapter 16, he directed them through revelation. So, Passing by Mysia, they went down to Troas, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there, urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. To make it to Troas, Troas is is a significant port city, and it's here Paul gets this vision. Come, come help us. Somebody has said that there's nothing that motivates people to action like a clear call for help. Someone needs help. I'm ready. Who needs help? Paul was given a call for help. So they decide to cross the Aegean Sea now and they take the gospel to a place it had never been to yet. So not only was heading to Macedonia significant in that it led to the planting of some new churches, including one of Paul's most beloved, the the Philippian church, which loved him and supported him from day one. But this was a significant turning point in Christian history, and in fact, world history. Because of Paul's flexibility and obedience to go over to Macedonia instead of pushing through down to Ephesus, the gospel headed westward into Europe, and eventually even further west to North America, It's a big deal, because we live in North America. Okay, how did we hear the gospel? People from Europe came over with the gospel. Thank you, Lord. Paul, Silas, Timothy, they were pioneers of the gospel. They were called to a specific place, Macedonia, take the gospel to new new lands. And pioneering can be really difficult. Sometimes you don't have success. Sometimes you do, but sometimes you don't see the fruit of your labor. It's just tough slugging, tough slugging, because you're preparing the way. You're preparing a path for maybe someone else to follow. And as we're going to see in the chapters ahead in the book of Acts, Paul experienced some success. Yes, we've already seen that, but he also experienced setbacks, discouragements, beatings, and even imprisonment as he pioneered for the gospel. But he was able to persevere for all that because he knew he was called to go And he knew who had called him. He had that clear vision from God. In 1912, 
medical missionary Dr. William Leslie believed he had received a specific calling to go and minister to tribal peoples in a remote area of the Democratic Republic of the Congo. And so he went. After 17 years, he returned home a discouraged man, believing he had failed to make a significant impact for Christ. He had been obedient to God's call, but had not seen much fruit for all of his labor. He died nine years after his return. But in 2010, a missionary team led by Eric Ramsey made a shocking and sensational discovery. They found an entire network of reproducing churches hidden like glittering diamonds in the dense jungle across the river from where Dr. Leslie had been stationed all those years. Ramsey and his team even found a 1,000-seat stone cathedral in one of the villages. He learned that the church got so big, so crowded in the 1980s, people were coming from all over the place, miles away, that a church planting movement started in the surrounding villages in the 80s. We're just catching up to church planting now. Congo was ahead of the times. Leslie's goal was to spread Christianity. He felt like he was there for 17 years and never really made that big of an impact. But in reality, the legacy he left for the Lord is huge. You see, a Christian's obedient response to the call of God, to the direction of God, is never a trivial thing. Great issues and untold blessings may depend on it. We may not see the immediate results of our obedience, even in our lifetime. Dr. Leslie didn't. But we don't obey in order to see results. We obey because the God of the universe calls us and he's worthy to be served. We, we leave the results up to him. And God may not direct you with a specific clear vision to go to Macedonia or go to Congo during your life. But what if he did? What if tonight you got a, a vision, a dream from God? I want you to pack up and go here, somewhere new. Would you go? So often we say, God, I want to know where you want me to go. Like, well, what if, he, what if he showed you? Would you go? Would you be live, willing to leave everything you know, everyone you know, and, and go somewhere new to, to help people, to preach the gospel, to make disciples? God could be directing you into something new. He may take you from the Windsor area. We've seen that a few times already. We've sent people out to Michigan, to Nova Scotia, and Southeast Asia from our own church. And we send them out with our blessing to go and be witnesses for Jesus. Because we remember that we're all missionaries. We're all sent out. We're all called to be witnesses, obeying God's direction and recognizing that being sent out is not just for those super spiritual elite Christians like the Apostle Paul. It's for each and every one of us. That sending out may be somewhere really far away, but it might not be. Maybe you never get one of these big uh, vision moments. You feel like you have the specific direction from God. We're going to go here, and it's far away, and it's different. Maybe you don't get that. And maybe that's because God just wants you to be a witness where you are already. And instead of just praying, God, show me where you want me to go. Show me where you want me to go. Maybe God's saying, I want you there. I want you right where you are. Tell people about Jesus here. You think about where you live. Not just the city, but the, like, the street that you live on. It's not an accident. 
Think about the school that you might go to, and the teammates you might have, the coworkers you might have, the roommates you might have. It's not accident. God specifically directs people into our lives and directs us into their lives for his purposes, for his plans, that they may hear and believe the gospel. So we ask God, hey, help me. Help us to be witnesses where we are now. And if you do lead us to go somewhere new, well, then help us to be witnesses there as well, if that happens. And we've seen this morning that God directed Paul and his companions in a variety of ways. And God does that. He directs us in a variety of ways today. Paul's flexibility and his obedience led to great kingdom expansion. So we ask, we say, may the Holy Spirit work in each of our hearts so that, like Paul, we will be willing, humble, flexible, obedient gospel witnesses wherever God may direct us. As we've said it a number of times during this series, and we're going to say it again, like, we're, or, we're just ordinary people, but the ordinary people of God, equipped with the Word of God, empowered by the Spirit of God, dedicated to the Son of God, can accomplish the mission of God. Let's pray together. Father God, we thank you again for the truth contained in your word. And we thank you that you direct your people. It's not always abundantly clear like a vision that Paul received, but you direct us in so many different ways. And I pray that you would give us eyes to see how you do that. And even if we don't see and understand how you do it, I pray that you would would work in us and that we would become flexible, willing, obedient disciples who would be witnesses wherever you direct us. If that's that's at our job, that's at our school, that's in our house, it's in our neighborhoods, wherever you take us. Help us to be mindful of that, that ultimately we are here to help accomplish your will, your plans, not our own. And I pray that you would work in our city, through our church, that more people would hear about Jesus, even today, because of the work that you have done and will do in us. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.